From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Rebecca Foster. Facebook has announced it will block new political ads from its site in the week before the U.S. presidential election. This is one in a series of changes CEO Mark Zuckerberg says the social network is making in an effort to limit voter misinformation and the potential for civil unrest. Our Silicon Valley correspondent Rachel Silverman has the details. Facebook says it will prohibit political campaigns from running new ads during the final week of the race. That's meant to prevent them from spreading misinformation at the last minute. The social network says it will also strengthen measures against posts that try to dissuade people from voting. Facebook says after the election, it will quash any candidate's attempts at claiming false victories by redirecting users to accurate information on the results. Rachel Silverman, San Francisco. U.S. presidential candidate Joe Biden has met with the family of Jacob Blake during a visit to Kenosha, Wisconsin. Blake, who is African-American, was shot seven times in the back by police, leaving him paralyzed. An incident which prompted nights of demonstrations during which two Black Lives Matter protesters were shot dead. Biden's visit comes two days after President Trump visited Wisconsin, which is an important swing state in the upcoming election. It also comes as protests have broken out in Rochester, New York, following the death of another unarmed black man in police custody. Daniel Prude died from asphyxiation in March, but footage has only just been released. Sarah Walton reports. Put your hands behind your back. Behind your back. Yes, Don't sir. move. Body cam footage shows officers putting a hood over the head of a shouting Daniel Prude. He's naked apart from a pair of handcuffs and sitting on the ground as snow falls. His family had called police after he began acting strangely. Police say Mr. Prude was spitting at them and they were concerned about coronavirus. But the footage shows his head being held to the ground until he stops moving and an ambulance arrives. Reports say a post-mortem showed Mr. Prude suffocated but also had drugs in his system. UK coronavirus testing laboratories say they're struggling to keep up with demand as they attempt to process 170,000 tests a day. This has left some people being directed hundreds of kilometers to the nearest testing center and has led to delays in the delivery of home testing kits. Here's Stuart Smith from London. Those with symptoms of COVID-19 can order a test to their home or visit a testing centre all for free. But although laboratories should be able to process a quarter of a million tests per day, surges in demand have created a backlog over the past month. The head of the test and trace system has apologised and says high-risk areas are currently being prioritised for testing. To address the backlog, a new lab will be opened in England at the end of the month. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's me, Stacy on the right, 
and I'm here with another fantastic program for you today. We're going to be covering a ton of different news and information, specifically having to do with the shootings, the rioting, and everything that's going on on, on that subject matter. And we have some really interesting news to report. It is not to be missed that the president is hammering this issue and that liberals have noticed because the polls are actually moving in the wrong direction. I, I, I get really excited because I look at it and I say, this is the president. This is what he's doing in response to what's happening. What we can do is we can say either we agree with it or we don't agree with it, but we can't say he's not doing anything. So I want to start off with, first of all, we're, we're going to discuss how there's no epidemic of racist police shootings. We're going to talk about the D.C police arresting a man from Florida for attacking the police who was actually protecting Senator Rand Paul. And then um, there's a deputization of troopers in another state in Oregon. And in Oregon, where they're deputizing these officers, you've got the distinct possibility of federal charges now instead of it just being state and local charges. So it's actually really good for justice. And then the president says he's going to defund the lawless cities like New York and Portland and people are losing their stuffing about it. So we're going to discuss all of that today. And it all it's all in the same wheelhouse. It's all in the police, law enforcement, law and order area, and then also in the area of uh, just truth telling. So let's start off with the fact that there is no epidemic of racist police shootings. So there's a new study out and it is about the Democratic presidential candidates rhetoric that is anti-police. And they've gotten that rhetoric from the Obama years. So Joe Biden has issued a criminal justice plan as a part of his platform that promises he will reform the police and black moms and dads will no longer have to fear when their children walk the streets of America. Apparently, the people that black moms and dads are most afraid will kill their children you know, it's it's the police, not the gangbangers, not other blacks, which obviously well over 90 percent of all black people are killed by other black people, not by the police. So the, but, uh, you know, let's ignore facts and let's go with this other narrative. So you've got South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg saying in the past that police shootings of black men won't be solved until we move policing out of the shadow of systemic racism. Another load of hogwash. But let's go to the study, a new study published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Science, which demolishes the Democratic narrative regarding race and police shootings. The fact is white officers are not engaged in an epidemic of racially biased shootings against black men. It turns out white officers are no more likely than black or Hispanic officers to shoot black civilians. In fact, it is the rate of a racial group's violent crime participation that determines police shootings, not the race of the officer. The more frequently officers encounter violent suspects from any given group, the greater the chance that members of that racial group will be shot by a police officer. So it's an interaction issue. In fact, if there is a bias in police shootings after crime rates are taken into account, it turns out white civilians are much more likely to be shot and are shot much more often than blacks are. And this is not a, a function of the number of whites. It's a function of the number of shootings that occur. So it's it's a percentage. So you've got these authors. They're faculty at Michigan State University and the University of Maryland at College Park. And they created a database of 917 officer-involved fatal shootings from 2015 from more than 650 police departments. 55% of the victims were white, 27% were black, and 19% were Hispanic. Between 90 and 95% of the civilians shot by officers in 2015 were attacking police or other citizens, 90% were armed with a weapon. The so-called threat misperception shootings in which an officer shoots an unarmed civilian after mistaking a cell phone for a gun or something of that nature 
were very rare. Now, earlier studies have also disproven the idea that white officers are biased in shooting black citizens. The Black Lives Matter narrative has been impervious to the truth. They simply do not receive new information. They're going with what they've got because it raises them billions of dollars. Police departments, consequently, are under this enormous political pressure to hire based on race, despite existing efforts to recruit minorities on the theory that doing so will decrease police shootings of minorities. So this is the nonsense that our officers and our police departments are are, are under. It's absolute nonsense. It's been going on since the Obama administration. Back in 2016, Obama recommended that police departments lower their entry standards in order to be able to qualify more minorities for recruitment. Departments had already been de-emphasizing written exams, eliminating requirements that recruits have a clean criminal record, but the trend actually intensified after that. The Baltimore Police Department changed its qualifying exam to such an extent that the that the director of legal instruction and the Baltimore Police Academy complained in 2018 that rookie officers were being let out onto the street with little understanding of the law. And Mr. Biden's criminal justice plan would actually require police hiring to mirror the racial diversity of the local community as a precondition of federal funding. Do you know what that means? Criminals working in the police department. So it's not going to reduce racial disparities in shootings, according to the PNAS study, since white officers are not responsible for those disparities and black crime rates are. So you'll just have unqualified black cops shooting black suspects because they'll still be interacting with them at the same rate. It will not, however, make a change to anything having to do with the number of black men who are being shot. So um, I, I, you know, I could give specific examples. The link is in the show notes. The fact is there is no disparity. So now why would Joe Biden twice in one week be out of his hidey hole and running around America talking about issues that have to do with the rioters. Well, I can tell you why. Because something's happening with the actual polling and the the race itself is tightening and it's not tightening in his favor. So I first want you to listen to Don Lemon talking about what he thinks should be done about the rioters. I do think that uh, this, what you said was happening in Kenosha is a Rorschach test for the entire country. And I think this is a blind spot for Democrats. I think Democrats are ignoring this problem or hoping that it will go away. And it's not going to go away. And so, unless someone comes up with a solution over the next 73 days or 70 so, however many days. 68 days. 68 days. So it's not going to, the, the problem is not going to be fixed by then. But what they can do And I think maybe Joe Biden may be afraid to do it. I'm not sure. Maybe he won't. Maybe he is. He's got to address it. He's got to come out and talk about it. He's got to do a speech like Barack Obama did about race. He's got to come out and tell people that he is going to deal with the issue of police reform in this country and that what's happening now is happening under Donald Trump's watch and on Donald Trump's watch. And when he is the president, Kamala Harris is the vice president then they will take care of this problem. But guess what? The rioting has to stop. Chris, as you know and I know, it's showing up in the polling. Mm -hmm. It's showing up in focus groups. It is the only thing, it is the only thing right now that is sticking. And the Democrats tonight stuck with that, right? And they also stuck with the theme that you said, the coronavirus. You got coronavirus and you have Kenosha. So he's saying that... um there's this narrative and the narrative is that there's violence going on and the Democrats aren't doing anything about it. And, and it's not a narrative. It's the truth. 
The Democrats actually aren't trying to stop the rioting. The mayors aren't trying to stop it. The prosecutors in the states and localities where the rioting is happening aren't trying to stop it. No one seems to be interested in doing anything about it except President Trump and Republicans. So um, if you if you think about it from the perspective of people um, who are, are living near this, it's not only frightening, it is... It's as if you're in a bizarro world where you're like, well, no one will do anything about this. Now, it wasn't just Don Lemon. Van Jones, who is a pernicious truth teller, if you want, you know, want if we're, if we're dealing in how he behaves, because he'll sometimes come out and he'll speak out against the Democrats and he's doing it in one of those I'm trying to help you type of things. But it's always an indictment. It's always something where you just sit there and you listen and you think, why are you with them? But he doesn't really consider himself to be with them because he's much further to the left than the Democrats. He's much more along the lines of someone who believes in a little bit of communism, a little bit of Marxism. But he's telling the truth here. Let's take a listen. The longer we talk about violence and unrest and how he's uh, handling it or not handling it, it's all advantage Trump. In other words, this campaign is going well for Donald Trump because we're not talking about the economic devastation uh, that people are experiencing, or the virus, really. And I think it's time for us to uh, recognize we, we are in a very perilous situation uh, if you want to see a change in November. Um, we have two social movements. Uh, both have edges of violence to them, one on the left, one on the right. I think it's baked in that Donald Trump is, uh, is not going to challenge uh, very strongly the police violence or the vigilante violence, and a lot of people, frankly, are comfortable with that. The question is, how are Democrats and progressives going to deal with the edges of violence in our own movement. I think that Joe Biden can reach, can, can actually begin to move his own movement in a better direction. We need a national moratorium on these nighttime marches. Uh, that would separate the responsible, uh, productive demonstrations that have united the whole world from some of these other demonstrations that are just not as useful. There are things that Joe Biden and other progressives can do that can begin to push down on the violence in our movement and then turn it back toward the people who are actually suffering. So he doesn't think that people whose businesses have been burned to the ground are suffering. And I, I noticed this is a, a, a continuing theme with people on the left. When they hear that businesses have been destroyed, that property's been damaged, they say, oh, well, insurance will cover that. But it's lives that matter. Well, now people are being killed. Innocent Trump supporters are being executed on the streets. You now have them... Uh, in addition to the children who've been shot and children who've been killed, you have adults being killed. And so it's not these kind of famous cases that everyone's discussing across the country. It's also the people who are just being shot and it's just, you know, almost considered to be routine crime. And it's because of the riots that these things are happening. We have an increase in crime across the country and it's the rioting that is driving this. And these people are now, we know they're traveling across state lines to do these things. So that brings us to this this story here. You remember Rand Paul was at the uh, RNC the last night when the president accepted the nomination. He and his wife and a couple of her friends had tickets and they were seated in that that wonderful space in the Rose Garden and they got to hear. And afterwards, as they were leaving to go to their hotel, they had to walk a block out of their way because protesters were there. And they had D.C. Capitol Police with them because he is a senator. But it still wasn't enough. The police, there weren't enough of them out there to deal with the protesters. And they were rowdy and they were issuing verbal threats and they pushed the Capitol Police a couple of times. 
Well, now Fox 5 is reporting that D.C. police have arrested a Florida man who they say was near Senator Rand Paul last week following President Trump's acceptance speech. The D.C. police were escorting the senator who said he was attacked by a crazed mob. According to the Department of Justice, Brennan Sermon... 27 of Orlando was arraigned in DC Superior Court on one count of assault on a law enforcement officer and then released on his own recognizance. Investigators say that around 12:30 a.m. on August 28th, a DC officer was holding a police line at 14th and F Street Northwest when Sermon kicked his bicycle and ran away. When the officer chased him, Sermon allegedly punched the officer in the face. The injury required stitches. If Sermon is convicted, he could face up to 180 days in prison for each count. He could also face a fine of up to $1,000. Now, that's not enough. You punch an officer in the face and all you get is 180 days? Wow. What about the fact that he is living in Florida, but he was in D.C. for the last day of the RNC so that he could bust heads and that his intent was to get at a sitting senator? who has already had his life not just threatened, he was shot. Remember, he was shot along with others, Steve Scalise and others on the baseball mound in D.C. back, you know, almost two years ago. So who's funding him? Who sent him there? Who paid for his hotel? Who paid for his plane ticket? Those are questions we need answered, which brings us to deputized troopers are actually working in Portland, Oregon, because they're going to be federal charges now. So the Oregon State Police Troopers have been deputized by U.S. Marshals in Portland, Oregon. The move was made in response to the growing unrest in Portland, and it means that a deputized Oregon State Police trooper can arrest someone for a federal crime and turn the case over to a federal prosecutor instead of a state prosecutor. Doing so would essentially override Multnomah County District Attorney Mike Smith's policy of limiting prosecution for certain charges related to the ongoing protests. Last month, Schmidt's office announced charges such as interfering with a police officer or criminal trespass would not be prosecuted and people arrested for those crimes would be quickly released, which means you have the same thugs out night after night. They get arrested and they're released instantly. First thing in the morning, they're back out and they can go back to their hotel room, get a fresh change of clothes, eat breakfast and be back on the street busting heads before it gets dark. Now, this should be something that makes major news that most news outlets are reporting on that people are shocked and and disgusted by, but it's not, which leads us to what President Trump is doing about it. President Trump has begun the process to defund lawless cities around the country like New York and Portland. He's defunding them of their taxpayer money, the money that they get in the form of federal funds. So the details of the order are this. This was signed on Wednesday, a five-page memo ordering all federal agencies to send reports to the White House Office of Management and Budget that detail funds that can be redirected. New York City, Washington, D.C., Seattle, and Portland are initial targets as Trump makes law and order a centerpiece of his reelection campaign. And this comes after months of unrest and violence following the May killing of George Floyd by Minnesota police. Do we even remember why they're, they're rioting anymore? It's just been so long. So the quote... In the memo from President Trump is my administration will not allow federal tax dollars to fund cities that allow themselves to deteriorate into lawless zones to ensure that federal funds are neither unduly wasted nor spent in a manner that directly violates our government's promise to protect life, liberty and property. It is imperative that the federal government review the use of federal funds by jurisdictions that permit anarchy, violence and destruction in America's cities. Federal agencies must detail all federal funds provided to Seattle, Portland, New York City, Washington, D.C., and within 14 days, Attorney General Barr must develop a list of anarchist jurisdictions that permitted violence and the destruction of property to persist and have refused to undertake reasonable measures to restore order. The memo does not require Barr to include the four cities, possibly for legal reasons. So the review will take about 30 days. 
at which point the White House budget director, Russ Vout, will report back to the president with recommendations. And this could cost these cities a ton of money. Remember, New York City receives $7 billion a year. And this comes on the heels of New York City having an exodus, mass exodus of people moving out to Iowa and Idaho and Florida and Texas and Arizona. They're just going wherever they can get to to get away from New York City. They're putting their houses up for sale, sticking a sign out and getting out. Apartments up for sale. Rentals are being abandoned. These New Yorkers are dive bombing out of there so fast. The uh, the U-Haul centers are have line wrapped around the block. People waiting from first thing in the morning when they open, trying to get a truck or a trailer or anything they can get their hands on. And they're leaving. And I think it's really sad. I, I don't understand why they would continue to have the policies that are driving their own citizens away. But again, how can it make any sense? It's liberalism. So I want to go into just one more thing before we close out the podcast here. And that is we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to put all of this in perspective by thinking about what happens when incompetent people are in leadership. And this comes from uh, Jeremiah 10, where you find in Jeremiah 10, a catastrophic punishment about to fall on Judah, which can be traced back to the incompetency of her leadership. It says in Judah 10, 21, the shepherds are senseless and do not inquire of the Lord. And so they do not prosper and all their flock is scattered. Shepherds in this context includes more than just pastors. It includes all who direct the affairs of the nation. So kings, priests, prophets, and other leaders. And it's not just that these leaders are incompetent in the area of general administration, charismatic sheen, financial acuity, or management. They're senseless, and their folly is manifest in the fact that they do not inquire of the Lord. So we are in the same position in many of our major cities across the country, but especially the democratically run ones, where not only do these people not inquire of the Lord, they don't believe in God, and they don't believe in law and order, sense and sensibility, uh, you know, actions and consequences, unintended consequences. They don't believe in any of that stuff. So they don't want to be ruled over or reminded that God exists. They don't want to yield their will to God's. They don't want to seek out wise counsel, let alone pray and see what God has to say about any of this. And so We know for a fact that nations, churches, neighborhoods, none of us can rise any higher than our leaders. If our leaders are passionate about knowing God and following him, then we will see prosperity. But the Bible also says when the wicked are in charge, the people groan. If we see a group of leaders who are literally godless, we're going to see an absolute godlessness permeate the remainder of the nation. We can't ignore the fact that these people are smugly opposed to anything that has to do with God. And we know that God is God, he's in control, and he is sovereign. And regardless of the state of our leader's hearts, his will is going to get done. But it doesn't absolve us of the need to be praying for revival, to pray for the leaders who are elected in, in place over us, and to work hard to elect people who are godly, to replace those who are ungodly. Because in the end, our leadership is simply a representation of us. My hope is that we start doing that right away. The time is past being short. It's it, we're, we're beyond shortened time. We, we've got to do something about the people we have in charge. When bad people are in charge and they don't do their jobs, other people die. And then it becomes all of us who are responsible because we're the ones who are in charge. We're the ones who elect these people. We're the ones who reelect them. We're the ones funding them through our tax dollars. It's ultimately our responsibility. If we have bad leadership, it falls on us. And that's kind of a Debbie Downer, but it's the truth. All right. 
so glad that you're with me. Check us out at familyvisionmedia.org. StaceyOnTheRight.com. God bless and have a fantastic evening.